Turn your Bibles, if you will. We're going to be in the book of Malachi, the Old Testament book of Malachi. And as you're turning there, I too had a pretty rough week. I got into a fight with 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9. The odds were against me, so I called in 2, 4, 6, 8, and 10 to try to make it even. Some of you got that, some of you didn't. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about a topic that got, gets a lot of negative perceptions, and that is our finances. Boo, right? Let me start with this. God wants us to be financially free. Amen? That is God's desire for us. He wants us to be financially free. But sadly to say, most people today are in financial bondage. And that includes many Christians as well. That's not God's plan for us. Amen? We need to understand that. We need to look into God's word to get some direction. We need to look into God's word to find solutions. But before we do that, I want to start with this thought. There are three main people interested in your finances. The first one is you, and if you're not, you need to be, amen? The second person is God himself, but he's not interested so he can get it for himself. We need to understand that God does not need our money, amen? We have to get that through our thick skulls. God does not need our money. He's interested because he wants to bless us. Amen? He doesn't want to get. He wants to give. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord is what makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Amen? The third person who's interested in your finances is Satan. Satan, his desire is to keep you in financial bondage. He does not want you to hear today's message, and he certainly does not want you to apply today's message that God is going to lay upon our heart. Amen? Let's pick up in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. We're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to skip down to verse 7. Malachi 3, verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation." Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I don't know about you, but that sure sounds like a blessing to me. Amen? Now, again... God wants to deliver us from the chains of financial bondage. 
to be in chains to our finances, God says, is a curse to be cursed with a curse. You see that there in verse 9? He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. So let me pose a couple questions here to see if you are in financial bondage. First question is, do you charge daily expenses like gas or food because you don't have enough cash? Do you have past due bills from last month still to pay? Do you borrow money to pay fixed bills like taxes or insurance? Do you and your spouse argue over money? Came across a poem for married couples. They had a perfect marriage except for one flaw. He was fast on the deposit, but she was quicker on the withdrawal. So they even changed uh, wedding vows. It's now until debt do we part. Amen. So, but seriously, the last question and probably the most important question is, do you tithe faithfully? Man, that's a big one. Because if you answer no to that one, then that means you're in deep financial bondage. Amen. Now, I want to clarify something here. Financial bondage can apply to anyone. And not just to those who don't have a lot of money. In fact, I, I believe it's probably worse off to be wealthy and to be in financial bondage. If your goal is to get rich, then you are in financial bondage. Amen? It's that simple. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what God tells us. He says, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease, he says. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Isn't that true? Two men were negotiating a business deal, and the first man says to the second man, he said, look, money talks. The second man replies, it sure does. It tells me goodbye all the time. <laughs> Amen? So we need to understand it's not just Red Bull that has wings. Our money has wings too, and it leaves us quite often. So I also want us to understand that it's not wrong to have things. Amen? It's not wrong to own things. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us spiritually and financially. The key is to live within our means. Amen? Live within our means. We have to stop buying stuff that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Amen? That's how so many go through life. We have to stop. We need to be faithful, and we need to apply what God says about how to make money, how to use our money, how to spend money, how to save money, and how to give money. Amen? He has it outlined all in here. And we just have to follow his plan. God's desire is to bless us spiritually and financially. Now let's consider what we need to do. Amen?
First thing that we need to do is return to God. Let's go back to verse 7 in our original passage in Malachi 3. It says, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. We need to understand that the point of return must be at the same point of our departure. Wherever we departed from God is where we need to return to God. Amen? And we ask, the Bible says here, in what way shall we return? And look at God's answer in verse 8. He said, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And God's reply in tithes and offerings. So we need to return to God by being good stewards of what he blesses us with. Amen? That's the point of return for us to start. God is not looking to subtract from us. He's looking to add to us. Amen? He's not trying to get from us. He's trying to give to us. But we have to do it his way and not on our, based on our own understanding. Amen? Psalm 50, 12, it says, For the world is mine and its fullness. That's God. The world is his and its fullness. God does not need us. He does not need our money. He created all things and he owns all things already. So we need to understand what is it that God wants from us. Plain and simply, he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. In 2 Corinthians 12, 14, God says this. He says, I do not seek yours, but you. Amen? God is not after what we own, what we have. He's after us. Amen? I do not seek yours, but you. God wants us, not our money. We have to understand that tithing is not God's way to raise money. I know that's been wrongly taught in church for many, many years. Tithing is not God's way to raise money. He doesn't need our money. Amen? doesn't need it one bit. So what is tithing? Tithing is his way to strengthen us, to allow us to grow in grace. When we give to God, it strengthens our faith. When we give to God, it strengthens our walk with him. Amen? A mature Christian trusts God 100% fully with their finances. Amen? That's what we have to understand. So God's desire is always for our heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, he said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? So he's interested in what? Our heart. Plain and simple. The key is to put God first. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And then all these things shall be added to you. And you can go back and read the first part of Matthew 6, and you'll see the things that he's talking about are all the things that we need. 
and then some. Amen? So our first priority is to seek God first, then he will bless us with everything that we need, and then some. Amen? A boy went out to check on his younger brother who was out in the barn milking the cow. How much milk did she give, he asked. The brother replied, she didn't give anything. I had to take every single drop from her. God doesn't want it to be like that with us. Amen? He doesn't want it to be like that. He wants us to give freely. He wants us to give willfully. He wants us to give liberally. And most important, he wants us to give cheerfully. Amen? Not grudgingly, but because we want to give. If not, he doesn't want it. He doesn't need it, and he doesn't want it. Amen? If our heart is not right in our giving, he'd rather you keep it in your pockets, but understand when it stays there, you don't, don't expect any blessings. Remember, he doesn't need it. It's for our benefit. And that's what God is trying to, to show us here in Malachi. He's saying, if you, if you want to return to me, then stop robbing me. Stop stealing from me. How many of us know what April 15th is? Right? Everybody, everybody knows what April 15th is. It's tax day, right? That is the day that, that we, you know, absolutely have to make sure that all of our taxes are paid. How many of us have that same discipline with our tithes? Do we have Give God Day? Right? Why is that? Why is it that most of us, we don't have that same discipline? That's because we fear the IRS more than we fear God. And that is a st sad state to be in. Amen. We will never break free of financial bondage if we fail to tithe and to give to God's work. Amen. Tithing is not the only step to financial freedom, but we need to understand it is the foundation of it. That's the point of return back to God. Amen? That's where it all starts, returning back to God. He's the one who blessed us with all that we have to begin with. It's all his to start off with, right? So I want to pose, there's a double meaning in that phrase, return to me. Not just spiritually, but God is the one who blessed us financially, so it's our job to return it back to him. And he's not asking for all of it. He's asking for a tiny little portion. Amen? Return to me, that small portion back to him. All right, so that's the first step. What's the second step? Well, the second step is to replenish God's house. As we return to God, we're going to start noticing a change inside of us, a change within our priorities, a change in the way that we see things. We're going to start to see things that are more important to us in a different light. Our desire for material things 
that's going to start to diminish and go away. Amen? Look at verse 10. God said, bring what? What are we to bring? Bring how many tithes? All the tithes. All means all, and that's all that all means, right? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Where is God's storehouse? You're sitting in it right now. This is God's storehouse. Amen? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and he clarifies it here, that there may be food in my house. Again, this is not our house. God has allowed us to use this church to worship him, to serve him, and to serve one another. Amen. So we're to bring the tithes into the storehouse, into the church house. So what exactly is a tithe? Go left in your Bible to the book of Genesis. We talked about this last week, the book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 28, skip down to verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going... And give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. That's just the basic needs of life, right? That's what Jacob was asking. If God is with me and, and supplies my needs, verse 21, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Return to his father. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. So what is a tithe? It's a tenth. Ten percent. I want you to think about that. God blesses you every week or every other week, whatever your pay cycle is, or every month, whatever it is. And he's only asking in return ten percent. He says the other 90% is yours. Spend it freely. Spend it wisely, but spend it freely. It's yours. That's not much, is it? Small portion of what he has blessed us. So a tithe means a tenth. You say, but pastor, that was the Old Testament under the law. Well, yes, that particular passage was, but that's not where tithing started. Amen? It actually started about 400 years earlier, 400 years before Jacob, before the Mosaic law, and is part of what is known as God's eternal law, which means it doesn't change whether it was Old Testament or New Testament, it's part of God's eternal law. In Genesis 14, the Bible describes how Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. Amen. Melchizedek was the high priest at the time. Now, we're going to come back to Melchizedek in, in a few minutes. But for now, tithing was taught in the Old Testament before the law, and it's also taught in the New Testament after the law. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Skip down to verse 5. 
so also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest. But it was he who said to him, the father said to the son, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As the father also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now that's interesting language if you understand the dynamic of the of the Mosaic law, the law in the Old Testament, because the law was after, the priesthood was after who? Aaron. The law was after the priesthood of Aaron. But we read here that Christ, as our eternal high priest, was not after Aaron, but after Melchizedek. Aaron symbolizes the law. Melchizedek symbolizes God's eternal law. So let's consider Melchizedek for a minute to make more sense. Go to the right two chapters, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part, a tithe, first being translated the king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Now pay attention to verse 3. Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, and he remains a priest continually. So the Bible tells us that his name means king of righteousness. And he's referred to as the king of Salem. The word Salem comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means what? Peace. He's also called the king of peace. The Bible tells us that he had no parents. He had no genealogy. He had no beginning. And he had no end that he is the high priest forever and ever. Now we need to understand that these characteristics are reserved only for one person. And who is that? Jesus Christ himself. Amen? So we need to understand that Melchizedek in the Old Testament was a Christophany. That means a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So Abraham gave tithes to Jesus before the law, and we are to give tithes to Jesus after the law. Amen? So we also need to understand that we are extremely privileged to live in the age of grace. We're not under the law, right? We're not obligated to give 10%. That's the definition of tithing. But we're under the law, and that's why we call it tithes and what? Offerings. A tithe means 10%. But in the age of grace, we also offer offerings above and beyond the tithes. We're to offer that up to our Lord willingly and joyfully. We're to give an abundance to all that he has blessed us with. Amen? We should never let someone under the law outgive us 
who are living in the age of grace. Amen. Plain and simple. Romans chapter 3, verse 31. So do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let me give you an example. As a parent, why do we feed our children? Why do we care for them and provide for them? Is it out of obligation to the law? Is that the only reason? I hope it's not any reason, right? We do that because we love them. Now, if we fail to do those things, what happens? Then the law will take over, right? The law will come into our home and take over if we fail to care for our children, provide for them. So that's what God is trying to show us here. The same is true with God's law. We don't void the law. We establish the law. The law is what gives us that foundation on how we ought to live. The Ten Commandments, right? That's a foundation for how we need to live. I heard this saying about tithing many, many years ago. It said, Abraham commenced it. Jacob continued it. Malachi commanded it. Jesus commended it. And who are we to ever cancel it? Amen. Tithing is the foundation of financial freedom. It's also the easiest and most simple step of faith. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? It's not easy to give my hard-earned money away. Sure it is. We're talking about a step of faith. Most steps of faith, we can't see, touch, or feel what we're doing, can we? We have to go out on faith. There's no other tangible proof. But tithing is different, isn't it? It's a step of faith that we can actually touch and feel and experience. That's why it's the easiest step of faith. We can see it, we can touch it, we can feel it. So God is telling us here to return back to him and to replenish his house. Feel that desire for material things disappear and start to break free of that financial bondage that has been holding you back and holding you down. Amen.